tell me how you and Ben met. <laughs> Do you want the um, parent version or the real version? <laughs> oh, girl, you know I want the real version. <laughs> so I was in a band, and his friend's band was the opening band. I saw him there, and I'm like, oh, okay, he's kind of cute. And then afterwards, you know, we're drinking after the show, and we're doing shots and whatever. And he mentioned that he's 24, and I'm like... Okay, see you later, because, you know, he's 12 years younger than me. And so we're still hanging out and stuff, and then I think to myself, you know what? Whatever. He's 24. It's not like I'm going to marry him. She ends up marrying him. Long story short, I'm Ben's first one-night stand. (laughs) Ben and Hina wanted kids but were devastated to learn that Hina didn't have any eggs. She was 41. But after a lot of grieving, a stinted IVF, and a mountain of hard work, Ben and Hina's plan B looked like it was going to work. And so I stepped out, and our social worker says, so what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, nothing. She's like, well, how about picking up newborn twins? Ben and Hina were trying to adopt through the foster system. That path is inherently risky because you're not adopting from parents who've placed their child for adoption. You're adopting from the foster system because parents have lost custody of their child due to claims of abuse or neglect. These parents can earn custody back by completing steps defined by the courts. Sometimes they don't or can't. And that's when a child is placed for adoption. So, needless to say, it is very complex, both legally and emotionally. And your ability to become a mom, it rides on so many things out of your control. And so listen, I'm going to warn you up front. Hina's transition into motherhood, it is a roller coaster, with the official title of mother being held in the balance. And at the end of that roller coaster, when she's finally close to having a family, something, or Someone is going to get in the way. Are you kidding me? Like, we're finally going to legally be a family, and now you're going to tear this family apart. I'm Amy Vicknair, and this is The Birth of a Mother. Adoptive parents may not birth their children, but the labor they go through to get a child in their arms is significant. To adopt from the foster system, parents attend 18 hours of in-person training, a home evaluation to ensure their house is safe for children, hours of very personal psychological interviews. Like, how did I feel about sex the first time I had sex? And I'm like, why do you need to know that? And, of course, the paperwork. They told us, that's going to take you about a month to, to fill out. And I'm like, nope, I'm not taking a month. I want a baby soon. And so, like, I had all that done within a week. I was ready to go. From the very first training, the foster system makes it incredibly clear. The number one priority is preservation of the original family. Their focus is to reunite kids with their biological parents, not to get you a baby. Oh, and by the way. They tell you up front, don't count on getting a baby. A newborn baby is very rare in the foster system. 
Your best chance at adoption is being open to any age, any gender, any ethnicity. Even better is if you're willing to adopt siblings. Ben and Hina, they were open to all this, with one exception. They wanted the kid or kids to be under two. And they were all in despite the system's warnings, because there are so many children who need homes. Many states are at crisis levels, with far too many children than there are places for them. And still, it took an entire year for them to get placed. Let's pick back up with Hina when she gets this life-changing phone call. I was at school and teaching my pre-calculus class, and my phone rings. And normally, I don't answer phones in class, but it was my social worker. And I thought, okay, my social worker never calls us during the school day. So this has got to be important. So I told my kids, okay, I'm going to step out. I'm going to take this phone call. And so I stepped out and our social worker says, so what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, nothing. She's like, well, how about picking up newborn twins? I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) They had five-week-old babies who were ready to go home to a foster home. And the social worker had picked us to be their parent. And I got to point out, it's not just newborn twins. It's a boy and a girl newborn twins. I'm telling you, this is the rarest of the rare. And so, of course, you know, I'm freaking out. I run into my class and I say, we just got babies. And (laughs) they started screaming and hollering because they knew that we were trying to adopt. They were like screaming and excited. And I, you know, step back out. I'm like, I have to call my husband. I told him and he was like, oh, my gosh. We're, we're getting babies. I'm like, yeah, like I, I, I got to go. And after that, I had to go back into class and still teach math for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> Did you end up teaching math for an no, hour? I was like, OK, you know what? Here's the assignment. Hopefully you can figure it out. I got things to plan. I like, We had nothing. They told us not to buy a single thing because we didn't know how old, you know, of a child we were going to get or whether or not we'd get one child or two children. So we had no car seats. We had no beds, cribs or anything, nothing at all. And suddenly I had to get these things. After class, I, I had to run upstairs, three floors up to the office and say, We got babies. And so, of course, everybody's excited about the fact that we have babies. And then I realized, crap, I have to make lesson plans for at least three weeks so that way I can be at home with these babies. So get lesson plans, go over to the store, buy car seats, buy some newborn clothes, and formula and diapers, and and we didn't even know what we needed. What's going on in your head as you're doing all this? (laughs) Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my God. That was pretty much all that I was thinking. It, it, It was craziness. I was excited, I was nervous, I was freaked out at the same time. I'm trying to make phone calls and let our family know. Ben's at work this whole time, and apparently he told his co-workers, and one of the co-workers ran out and got two stuffed animals, a little Aww. pink piggy and a blue elephant. So he comes home with these, and he's like, I have these. Like, great, we need more than that. And we're both just freaked out and excited, of course, yeah. but like just freaked out that we have less than 24 hours to, one, get used to the idea that we're going to have newborns, not, not just one, but two 
And most people get, you know, what, 39 weeks to get used to this idea. So there was, a, there was not a lot of sleeping that happened that night. But there was one almost certainty that Ben and Hina felt they could rest in. That these were going to be their babies. That they would end up adopting them. Now remember, there's almost never that certainty in the foster system. But in this case, even the social worker was assuring them that all signs pointed to adoption. And I say that recognizing that Ben and Hina's joy here, it's tangled up in another family's great pain. Out of respect for everyone and the privacy of the twins, I won't share why the birth mom lost custody. But remember that courts want to keep kids with their families. So it's very serious when they don't. What I will share, because it's public and important in understanding Hina's story, it was serious enough to where the courts wouldn't allow the birth mom to even attempt to reunify with twins, hence the social worker's confidence about adoption. The county had a sense of who the birth father was, but they couldn't find him. By all accounts, these were going to be their kids. And the next morning, they went to the hospital to meet them. And so the nurses were there. They just hand us the babies. And, you know, they were just these adorable, beautiful babies. And, Mm. you know, with these giant eyes and these big cheeks. And they were just, yeah, they they were gorgeous. And so still wasn't really quite hitting us. And so they give us the babies and they walk us down because they wanted to make sure that our car seats were installed correctly and they check it and we put the babies in and then we turned around and they were gone. We're like, (laughs) they're really going to let us walk away with these babies? And Ben looks at me and I look at him and we're like, I guess we're doing this. This is happening. And I jump in between the car seats and so that way I can feed them. And Ben starts driving and there is just traffic, like dead stop traffic. And at one point, both kids are screaming. I'm trying to feed them. They're still screaming their heads off. And Ben starts telling me, I can't breathe. I'm freaking out. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Like, what's going on? He's like, I'm having a panic attack. We we need to pull over. And so we managed to get off the freeway and he gets out of the car and starts throwing up. Oh my God. <laughs> he is so freaked out. He is throwing up. So I take the kids and I open up our trunk and I start changing their diaper and they calm down. I guess they need a diaper change and I put them in the car seats again and he's freaking out. And he's like, I can't drive. I, I I'm freaking out. I'm throwing up. This isn't the first time Ben had thrown up due to overwhelm. A few years ago, in a much sadder situation, he was visiting his father in the hospital who had cancer, and he had thrown up right before going in. I remembered that moment, and I'm like, okay, this is the way that he manifests anxiety. So I'm like, okay, just breathe. It's going to be okay. And feeling like I had to be the adult. And so I had to drive home and, like, figure out what the kids needed and stuff because he was too freaked out to do anything, really. But taking charge and and moving forward, I know how to do that. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, I know what I need to do. I'm going to go ahead and do that, and we'll just see what happens afterwards. This quality of taking charge, it's obvious as soon as you meet Hina. She and I had to reschedule our interview because she was procuring 
organizing, and handing out donated school supplies to hundreds of low-income children when schools closed for COVID. In addition to being a math teacher at the School of Arts, she's also a painter. And not a hobby painter. Her art is sold in galleries across the United States. The latest band she joined, she decided she wanted to play cello for the band. But she doesn't play cello. She just taught herself the cello. Saying Hina can take charge and get things done, it's an understatement. And Ben knows this too. I remember at one point, Ben wakes up in the middle of the night and he's like, the baby needs a diaper change. You know, basically waking me up so that I would change the diaper. And I'm like, yeah, you got it. I'm sure you got it. And he's like, what? He figured it out. After all, it was his baby that needed the diaper change. You see, Ben and Hina decided to each pick a baby to take care of. It would help even the workload. But Ben wasn't always holding up his end of that bargain. He would never wake up. He wouldn't hear the kids. And I'd be like, hey, hey, Ben, your baby's crying because, you know, he was (laughs) supposed to get up. And he just wouldn't hear her. And I'm like, don't you hear that? He's like, oh, I didn't hear them crying. I'm like, how do you miss them crying? They're in the same room as us. There's two of them. You know, they would breathe funny and I'd wake up. And that was actually a big issue when we went to therapy. It was just so frustrating that he could just sleep through all of that. And so I was always the person having to get up and it was just, he would wake up refreshed. (laughs) You know, (laughs) unless I like pushed him and kicked him and got him up. This is really common for couples who become parents. The increased tensions, the need for some therapy, and this very specific challenge of who takes on the very hard labor of night parenting. And this is just one item on a long list of labor to be divided up. There's nothing quite as shocking as the magnitude of work you face when becoming a parent. Take just feeding. An average newborn feeds about 10 times a day for 35 minutes each time. That's about six hours a day. It's 40 hours a week, a full-time job, just feeding. There's also changing the baby, cleaning bottles, washing clothes, and that's the physical labor. There's the mental labor of scheduling pediatrician appointments, researching and deciding which baby products to buy. And then, of course, the emotional labor of figuring out what are these cries and screams trying to tell me And that just scratches the surface. And that's for one baby. Ben and Hina have two. Ben and Hina, they each went back to work after a few weeks. But Ben travels for work, sometimes weeks at a time. He's gone for a total of two to three months out of the year. I was pretty much on my own with both kids. And just the logistics of, like, how do you get two kids out of the car into the house without leaving one kid by themselves? It was really hard. And there was a lot of resentment towards him because he got to go to work and and do his thing and come back and still be him. And I was going to work and rushing back home at 1230 and then be with the kids all day long. And then they were in, in daycare at one point and I was still the person dropping them off, picking them up, doing everything. And it was a lot. And that's just the standard work of parenting twins. Remember, Ben and Hina are foster parents, so they also have to count and document every piece of the kids' clothing, 
Write down every single dose of medicine or supplements the kids take. Doctors and dentists have to fill out and sign forms at wellness visits. Ben and Hina's social worker visits every two weeks, and the kid's social worker visits once a month to review all that paperwork, to see the babies, and essentially ensure Ben and Hina are being good enough parents. These are visits you have to remember and prepare for. I, I would constantly tell him, you need to do more. You need to help me. You need to do. And he would say, OK, OK. And he would try and and he would do it maybe like two, three days and then go back to, you know, and then I would say, hey, I need you to do this. Oh, well, you need to tell me what you need me to do. And I'm like, why do I need to tell you what needs to be done? Mm-hmm. It's the same routine every single morning. Don't you know what needs to be done? Kids need to be fed. Kids need to get dressed. Yeah, so it was, they weren't good conversations because after the second or third time you have to tell somebody to do something, it's annoying. And to the point where he was constantly telling me that the way that I talk to him is not nice, the way that I treat him is not nice. And I would say, well, I would treat you better if you would step up and do some things. Like, there's a relationship between you not doing things and the way that I speak to you. Ben and Hina had fallen into an outdated but frustratingly common dynamic, where the mother, or primary caregiver, shoulders a huge majority of the family work and grows resentful. Even the most egalitarian couples pre-children can find themselves unconsciously slipping into this pattern. And it turns out the newborn days are really important in preventing this. Men who take time off to care for their newborns, their wives are less likely to be on anti-anxiety medication. Years later, their marriages report a more equal division of labor, higher marriage satisfaction, greater sexual intimacy, and a lower divorce rate. The children of these men report feeling closer to their fathers when they're older. It's almost as if the newborn days are a sensitive developmental window, not just for the baby, but also for the parents to develop caregiving skills, to feel in their bones how hard caregiving work is, and then to set the path for equal workloads going forward. And this is important because once that developmental window closes, it can be really tough to reset later. So we went to therapy for, you know, a little while, but by the time that the kids were probably five months old, I was like, I'm not going back. Because it really felt like our therapist was making excuses for Ben. She would say things like, well, you need to give him a chance. It's not like he has ever done this before. I'm like, I've never done this before either, but I figured it out. It's been five months. He could figure this out. And so feeling like I wasn't really being supported by my therapist and that she was always making excuses for Ben, I was like, okay, I'm I'm not going back. What would you have wanted the therapist to do? He really needed to be told to step up. To be like, hey, Ben, you are a parent now. You need to step up. Despite these struggles with Ben, Hina said that she had a lot of bright moments with the twins in those newborn days. They were great sleepers, had great temperaments. And remember, she waited a long time to become a mom. Yeah, it was a mountain of work, and she was furious about the division of labor. But she was also so in love with the twins. 
And that's why this next part was so devastating to Hina. We're going to have to switch directions a bit because the roller coaster is about to begin. And then they found the birth dad. They found the twins' birth dad. Now things change drastically. Even though the twins are already five months old, now the gears of the foster system start turning to reunite the twins with their birth dad. Hina is panicked, but the social worker tells her, don't worry, it's going to be fine. And why did she think it was going to be fine? She said that because, so he was in prison, because he was in prison, the DNA test wasn't going to matter because he was not going to be able to do the steps he needed to get his kids back. One of them being visiting the kids. And if he couldn't visit the kids, he wasn't going to get them back. And how could he visit them? He's in prison. Visits are a big part of the foster process. It's how kids stay connected with their birth parents while they're separated. It's important. And for babies, it's even more important because babies bond with their caregivers in that first year of life. The baby visits are more frequent to help them bond with their birth parent in case they're eventually reunited. But with the birth dad in prison, Hina was in the clear. Or so she thought. Five months later, when the babies are now 10 months old, she was told to start visits. How is that possible? He's in prison. They're like, no. He then gets transferred to a rehab place for prisoners. So he's still technically incarcerated, but he's at this place where he gets to learn skills and stuff, and they're allowing him to do visits. So once a week, you have to do two-hour visits. And so I lost it at that point. I was Mm. just in tears. I'm like, we're losing these babies. We're going to lose these babies. And like had a total breakdown. And... I didn't even want to have Christmas because what's the point? We're going to lose these kids. Mm. There's no point in doing any sort of holiday stuff. It was was awful. In my head, I was thinking, okay, I'll just I'll just start painting a lot. I'll just throw myself into to my art and I'll and I'll just channel my feelings and paint into my paintings and that's what I'll do. And and it'll be okay because I'll just be focusing on on paintings and I'm not gonna think about anything else and just do work because you know we're not gonna have these kids. I don't wanna get attached. I don't wanna get attached to them any more than I already am. To, to suddenly like look at my children and realize that they may not be with me. And, you know, how do you not love your kids? Our social worker was like, just don't get too attached. I'm like, how do you not get attached? Wow. Just when, you know, when these kids say mama for the first time or, you know, they they reach out for you. Yeah, trying to, like, not attach myself to my babies who I've had, you know, all this time, it wasn't going to happen. And I I was going to be crushed. And I was already crushed knowing that we were going to start visits. Anyone adopting through the foster system knows there's a chance of this happening, of fostering a child, but not adopting them. And Hina knew this. But to actually live it, to nurture and care for and bond with these babies for 10 months, and then to learn you may no longer get to mother them, 
actually living that heartbreak is something else entirely. Their social worker, the one who first assured them that these were going to be their babies, and then at 10 months flipped and told them to not get too attached. Now she flips again and tells them not to worry. The birth dad can do the visits, but he can't fulfill the other steps, like finding housing or a job. Well, every single court visit that we had, they kept on giving him more chances. They said, oh, well, he gets out in a year and a half. That's not that long. So let's go ahead and keep doing the visits. And in a year and a half, he'll get a job. He'll he'll get housing. And then you can turn over the kids. So basically, we're turning over our kids at the age of two and a half. Oh. And they're like, yeah, that, that, that should work. And so every single court hearing that we had was ruled against us and for the birth dad. And I get it. I feel sympathy for this guy. I get that he wants his kids. For anybody who loses their kids through foster care, I would want them to have every opportunity to get their kids back. I get that. Intellectually, I understood why this was happening. Emotionally, I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then talking to the guy, because I would talk to him when I would go do the visits. He was a really nice guy, you know, easy to talk to and seemed to really care for the kids, or at least was trying, you know, he would come with gifts and he would always say, I'm really grateful the way that you take care of the kids. I'm grateful that they have you. And how do you hate somebody who's one nice and who wants to be with their children? In general, birth parents are given about six months to fulfill the requirements to gain back custody. And so some foster parents find out if they can adopt or not after about six to nine months. But for Hina, it would be years. Years of all the hard work of mothering without the official title of mother. And also the hard work of foster mother. The mental labor of remembering visits and court dates. The physical labor of taking them to visits. And of course, the emotional labor of carrying around that sinking feeling that at any moment, the twins would be gone. And that was like a whole extra layer of stress and tension between Ben and I, because I am very vocal about when I'm upset and he keeps it all in. So here I am being really upset by the fact that we might lose these kids. And he just looked like he was normal. And yeah, he would comfort me and tell me it was going to be okay. We would get through this, but I wasn't seeing any emotions. He wasn't getting angry or he wasn't crying or none of that. And I don't know if that was his way of dealing with it by like separating his emotions from it all. But I would get angry with him. Like, don't you care? These are our kids. Don't you care that we're going to lose them? And he'd say, yeah, I care. It sucks in a normal voice. So he doesn't, you can't really see it in his body language. Yeah. yeah. uh, You know, unless he's throwing up, I can't really (laughs) tell, you know, what he's feeling. Yeah, so it it definitely felt lonely in that I felt like I was the only one worried. I was the only one thinking about what's going to happen when we lose our babies. Okay, let me bring you to the moment where a decision is finally made. And it's another example where the pain of one family is tangled up in the joy of another. 
The birth father ends up back in prison, and the court terminated his parental rights. Ben and Hina, they don't lose the twins. They get to keep the babies. And how old are the babies when the court makes this decision? Three and a half. They're not babies. They're preschoolers. And despite all those years of obstacles thrown her way, Hina endured and stepped up for her family. And then the big day was set to celebrate that. The official court hearing. Adoption day. The day where legally no one could break up this family. No one could take the kids from Ben and Hina. And then 10 days before that court date. Ugh, I hate to even say it. It's the next part of our roller coaster. Ben asks for a divorce. <laughs> oh, wow. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, we're finally going to legally be a family, and now you're going to wow. tear this family apart. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was just awful. And I still don't forgive him for ruining our adoption day. Like, that was supposed to be a happy, beautiful moment, and he ruined it. You know, and then it still upsets me that that it was ruined because he had asked for a divorce. And, you know, I couldn't be happy, completely happy during that adoption hearing. Like, I didn't even want my family to be there because it just, I was just so upset. Hina was truly blindsided. She knew they weren't exactly happy and they were arguing a lot but she felt a lot of it was due to the season of life they were in, the stress of raising young kids, the unbearable uncertainty of the foster system. She figured once they adopted, some space would open up to finally focus on their marriage. But now it seemed all that space was just filled again, now with the stress of separating their lives. They had a small studio connected to their house that they usually use for storage, and now Ben moved into it. And that's how we did it, you know, for months. At first, it was business as usual. And I'm like, you know what? This is not okay. If you're asking for a divorce, you need to take the kids on your days and have full responsibility for them. I am not cooking you dinner. I am not doing anything. You're picking up the kids from school. You're also feeding them and spending all the time with them. And I will be someplace else. I am not helping out. Hina said this was confusing for the kids. They couldn't understand why mom couldn't just come up for dinner or playtime. And it was hard for Hina, too. Remember, she doesn't want the divorce. But... Suddenly, I'm like, oh, I can go out with my friends. I had all of this time that I never had because I was always taking care of the kids and taking care of everything. And he could go out and he could do whatever. And now I had all this free time. So I have to admit that... I actually kind of liked it because I knew that he was going to be picking up the kids from school so I could be in the studio painting for hours and not worry about having to stop to go pick up the kids and then make dinner and then get them to bed and all that stuff. So it actually wasn't too bad. I mean, aside from the emotional stuff, you know, it wasn't too bad for me because finally he was stepping up because he had to. And so it begs the question, should we all just get divorced? 
Are divorced co-parents the shining example of equal partnerships? It was certainly the disruption that Ben and Hina needed to reset the family workload. And another disruption would shake it up even more. So brace yourselves. There is one more drop to the roller coaster. And it's one of those things that is definitely not good news, but kind of good news. Cancer cured my marriage. <laughs> so I was taking a three Hina day was taking a three-day weekend in nature, one of the perks of having this newfound free time. And while in line for registration that weekend, she gets a phone call. The phone call telling her she has cancer. So I got to spend three days by myself <laughs> contemplating life. I mean, looking back now, it's probably good that I had that because, you know, I was in nature. I was able to think and just feel things and process it before I came home. And, you know, and I, and I did call up Ben and he told me from the start, whatever happens, I'm here for you. And he really was. He was here for me uh, throughout the whole time. You know, he still lived downstairs the whole time. But he was upstairs because I was going to need help. You know, I had surgery. I had to go through chemotherapy. I had to go through radiation. And I wasn't going to be able to do that by myself. And, you know, for me, wanting him to step up this whole time, he stepped up. The divorce showed that Ben could do his fair share. But the cancer showed that Ben could go above and beyond his fair share, take care of the kids and the house and Hina. Hina's cancer went into remission. And with the stress of cancer gone, and the stress of the foster system gone, and being pretty used to their separated lives, Hina started to feel that divorce was the right thing. But Ben just kind of stuck around. And so I finally asked him, so what's going on here? Are we getting a divorce? Are we not? He's like, oh no, I decided that we're not going to get a divorce. I'm like, wait, You decided? (laughs) Don't I have a say in this? Yeah, thanks for letting me know. Like, you could have said something. And so the tables turned. And suddenly he was the one that was wanting to fight for our marriage. And I was the one saying, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't. And so I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal for me, though. I don't like the way things were going before. So Mm. if this is going to happen, we're going to do therapy. And he, you know, was like, oh, no, no, no. Only if I'm like, no, no, no. We are doing therapy. And if we don't, we are getting a divorce. There's no going around it. But neither of them were interested in the therapy they did before. They didn't like this model of saving up all their anger and resentment for one hour each week. It seemed to bring all those intense emotions to the surface without enough time to wade through them all. And I actually ended up doing a therapy app called Lasting. So every day for 15 minutes a day, we sat. They have different prompts and you talk. And there was things that I didn't realize about him and how he felt because he wasn't telling me. And Now, with these prompts, he was telling me how he felt and what his life goals were and what he saw in our marriage and what he wanted in our marriage and what he wanted as a parent. For me, I think the turning point was when I realized that whenever he told me his feelings or told me what he didn't like, like when he would say, 
I don't like the way that you talk to me. And I would say, yeah, but that's because you don't do what I ask you to do. As opposed to just saying, okay, that's his feelings. He doesn't like the way that I talk to him, period. For me, that was a huge realization that I needed to not do that in order to save my marriage. Because if I kept on invalidating his feelings, this was never going to work. And knowing that I was doing these unhealthy things, I I didn't even realize I was doing those until I learned about them, you know, on this app. So I guess it's cancer and an app that saved Hina and Ben's marriage. Between fostering, adopting, raising children, raising twins, cancer, and then divorce and all that stuff. When I look back and like and talking to you and telling you all the things that have happened in the last couple of years, I think, wow, that was a lot of shit, <laughs> you know? But they were apparently doable because I did them and I got through them and I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still my kid's mom and I'm still married to Ben. I mean, I don't play in a band anymore or go out to a bar or anything, but you know, I still paint, I still teach. I still have the important parts of me still with me, you know? And I'm a hell of a lot stronger than I thought I was. (laughs) I could go through a lot of shit and still come out on the other end. Hina, Ben, and the twins, they still have contact with some of the birth family. And Hina has one more really important thing to share with you. The whole foster to adopt thing was really rough on us, but I don't want to scare people. Our experience was definitely unique and not everybody has it as difficult as we did. There's some wonderful children who need homes. So I I want people to consider adopting through the foster care system and realize that it is a wonderful thing. And even though we had a hard time through it, it was totally worth it. And if Ben would let me adopt more kids, I totally would, but he's not letting me. This episode of The Birth of a Mother was produced by me, Amy Vignair, editing by Lewis Raven Wallace, mix by Bryson Barnes, and music and sound design by Lily Sloan. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. If you enjoyed Hina's story, please help us make more. We are completely funded by donations from listeners. You can donate on thebirthofamother.org. No amount is too small. It all helps us get more stories out. Or if you want to help the project in a different way, tell us your story head over to thebirthofamother.org and click share your story. Thank you for listening to The Birth of a Mother.